Mm. I think we might have to turn the volume down on my mic just a just a touch. Thank you. All right, we're still playing with this. Uh, if you have a prayer card to turn in, uh, we will pick those up at this time, and uh, we'll have another opportunity later on. But uh... now, for all of those people who are you know outside and struggling in the heat. And I just want to remind you, this is the weather that we prayed for all winter. Okay? So, uh, <clears throat> if you stick around long enough, God will answer those prayers. So we are continuing our uh, new, new sermon series. And uh, last week we began it talking about the idea of gospel or good news. And uh, just a reminder that if you happen to miss a week, there's uh, a couple of ways that you can uh, catch up, or if you're out of town or something. Uh, the first one is, of course, YouTube, which we, you, many of us have uh, joined in on at some point, and that includes the whole worship service. We also have a podcast that is just the sermons. And uh, I say podcast, that's how it streams, but it's just my sermon. It's not a you know, conversation or anything different. Um, but uh, if you have podcast software on your phone, like Spotify or iTunes or whatever, then uh, you can just set it up so that the sermons just download automatically and uh, you stay in touch that way. So uh, the link for the podcast is on the, on the website and uh, that's the easiest way to direct you. So today... I want to talk about creation. If you heard on the way in, you were met at the door and told that we were going to be talking or I was going to be talking about creation today, I'm guessing that most of us would then say, oh, we're expecting a presentation about creation or seven-day creation versus evolution. And, and, and that's usually the way this topic is, is addressed. And I find those scientific conversations to be, to be interesting. Okay? There's a lot of information that can be learnt from those, from those kind of conversations. I know some of us have visited the Creation Museum and the Ark, Big Ark ex ex exhibit uh, down in Kentucky. Um, and from all reports, I haven't been there, but everybody that has says that they're fascinating, right? Uh, fascinating experiences. Well, I'm going to talk about creation today, but I want to do so without talking about evolution. Okay? I know, put your seatbelts on, it's a little unusual. Um, so, because while I appreciate the debate between these two uh, views of origins, I don't believe that the Bible should be treated as a scientific textbook, okay? Um, the purpose of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 is not to give us material to have an argument about the methodology of creation. Rather, the goal is to establish Yahweh as the creator and as the ultimate source of everything, 
So where did everything come from? <laughs> okay. There's a lot of stuff in the universe. Some of it we can see. Some of it we get told is what there's as much or more dark matter out there in the universe as there is light matter, you know. So I don't even really know what that means, but apparently it's, it's out there, right? Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Um, there's a lot of stuff in the universe. And, and so where did it all come from? We could travel around the world and, and visit a lot of different cultures and, and would find a lot of different creation stories if we did that. In the ancient cultures that were contemporary with Israel, the creation stories usually involved tales of different gods, either um, making love or making war. And as a result of one of those, everything came into existence. And, and once that was brought in, everything was brought into existence, then it was the role of the humans to serve the whims of the gods. And if the humans couldn't make the gods happy, there were consequences. In contrast, the Israelite creation story contains only one god. Contains only one God. There's no sort of lovemaking. There's no war that takes place between the gods. There's just a God. No motivation for creation is given. It's not explained or spelled out there in, in Genesis. That it's just God is doing this thing. What's interesting, though, is that we see that the way that it is described places humanity at the apex of creation. The rest of the world, the environment, everything is put in place and prepared for the creation of humanity. And, and you know, what do we say? You know, um, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? And, and so there's always, I think, then some humans that go, hey, we're the apex creature. Until we're face to face with a grizzly bear. But, you know, we're the apex creature. And therefore, the only thing that matters is our welfare and we'll do whatever needs to be done to ensure that. And, and so I think even well, one of the things we need to notice is in Scripture, in the Scripture account of creation, is just because humans are, are placed at the apex, we're also given the responsibility to care for creation. Okay. And then the fourth thing to note that is different from other accounts is that humans are not created to serve God, but to relate to God. Okay? So, Humans weren't created in the, in the very beginning to meet a need of God. Maybe that's a better way of saying it. Okay? Weren't created to meet a need of God. Rather, they were created to enjoy relationship with God. 
And we see that as God walks with them, apparently as a, as a frequent habit, walks with the first man and woman in the cool of the day inside the Garden of Eden. God did not create and step away and watch as a science experiment. He said, no, I want to get to, to know you. I want you to get to know me. Genesis chapter 1 describes the act of God as an uh, act of creation as God simply speaking into the void and different parts of creation instantly appearing. It emphasizes the, the power of God that he could do that. Who else could possibly accomplish this? And I think that that is oftentimes when we talk about creation and we, we, we say, what does it tell us about God? I think the first thing that comes to mind, at least for me, is, is power. Okay? That, that he could speak. Didn't even need to snap his fingers, right? Uh, he could speak. And it wasn't just that people or other beings did what he told them to do. But it just happened. But then we come to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 also tells the story of creation or retells the story. And we see a, a different portrayal of God's character. In Genesis chapter 2, God rolls up his sleeves and gets dirty. Okay? He forms man from the dust of the ground. He doesn't just speak and humanity appears. He takes his time and forms man from the dust. He breathes life, gets down and puts his face in the dust and breathes into the nostrils the breath of life. And so even though we have this creation account that emphasizes the power of God, we also have this creation account that emphasizes the um, closeness, the intimacy of God with his creation. And so together, these two stories describe God's power and the universe can just exist because he speaks, but it also describes how he's personally involved, invested in his creation. Mostly, though, the stories of creation communicate that God is the creator. Okay? God is the ultimate source of everything. And we would also add there is no source to God. Even today, though, this is the most difficult question for science to answer. Because you sort of keep going back. You say, okay, there was a Big Bang. Well, where'd the Big Bang come from? Well, it came from this. Where'd that come from? Well, it came from that. Well, where'd that come from? And so what you, it sort of just keeps on going. And we say, well, where did that come from? And, and so there is no scientific answer to that. How could something come from nothing? That's really the question. How could something come from nothing? And you know, how can you ever develop an experiment to demonstrate that something 
can come from nothing. So, so it's, it, it's a sort of just out there, you know, hanging over this question that hangs over all uh, scientific work that's done in discussing origins. And so as Christians, we believe, you know, we're not ever told the details. Even when God speaks, right, we understand that if God speaks something into existence, that there are still molecules and atoms and things that have to move and that appear and that do stuff. And like, I don't know how that happens when God just speaks and it happens, right? I, I, I don't know what the science is, if, if that's how it worked. There are lots of people that believe that, that God took his time, that the seven days in, in Genesis are, are um, yeah, symbolic or, or um, eras, however you want to phrase that, and that God took his time on all of that. Okay? And, and, uh, and so there's lots of different ideas about how it worked, and, and those details of how aren't explained. But we can be convinced that God is the ultimate source of everything. Okay, so where are we going with this, Peter? If you were here last week, you know, in fact, I said at the beginning, right, this is a series about the gospel, a series about good news. And here I am jumping into a debate that's been around for 100 plus years, right? Uh, with, with Charles Darwin. So, you're right, if that's what you're thinking. <laughs> this is our sermon series. <laughs> All right. Taken from the words of the angels at the birth of Jesus, good news causing great joy for all people. I want to put this set of symbols up on the screen and and perhaps you've seen this before, and, and uh, even if you haven't, maybe you can make sense of it. Um, you can decipher how it relates to the uh, gospel message. Jesus comes down to earth. Jesus is crucified. The tomb is empty as Jesus is resurrected. He returns to the throne of God, and one day he's coming back. Okay, And so it's a, a very simple explanation of the life of, of Jesus. It's become a, a popular way to share the story of Jesus' life. I have friends who've got it tattooed on their arm as a conversation starter with, uh, with people that they might run into. Um, but if you'll look closely at this, you'll notice that it doesn't tell the whole gospel because it doesn't really start at the beginning. Creation is the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of God's good news. And so while it, we might turn to the gospel of Mark in the New Testament and, and it looks something like this, he opens up with introducing uh, John the baptizer and then next thing you know, here's this guy Jesus getting baptized, right? And we're boom, straight into the story. That's kind of how Mark writes. A lot of action. Keep it moving. Okay. But all of the, the other three Gospels all begin earlier than that. For them, their telling of the good news of Jesus doesn't begin with Jesus as an adult. 
It begins not even with Jesus' birth, although that may be the first words in the gospel, but ultimately they, they trace the origin of the good news back much earlier. We could go to the, the, um, Matthew's gospel. And he, Matthew begins with this list, not of anything really about Jesus, but a list of people who lived between Abraham and Jesus. And it says, here's how we got from point A, Abraham, to point J, Jesus. Okay? And, uh, and, and it traces a, a, this lineage all the way down. But if we were to go to Luke's gospel, Luke actually begins just telling the story of Jesus' birth. But after a while, he comes back and he says, but I want to tell you who this Jesus is. He was the son. And he begins a long list of different people that he was the son of, who was the son of, who was the son of. Ultimately, though, he was the son of Adam, who was the son of God. Okay, So we have this uh, for Luke. He says, the good news begins with God, begins with creation, begins with Adam. And that's where things start. And ultimately, it leads to this day and this time that is Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. So that's Luke and how he begins the gospel message. If we were to go to John, John is very similar. In fact, John's um, first verse of John is basically a um, takeoff of the first verse of Genesis. Right? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, Genesis in the beginning is the same words of Genesis chapter 1. Uh, God created the heaven and the earth. Okay? And so we, we have John, when he writes his gospel, he says, I'll tell you where the gospel begins. It begins in the beginning. If you're a fan of the sound of music, you know that's true, right? Okay? We start at the very good beginning, a very good place to start. And so um, John is of that philosophical school. He says, well, we'll start at the beginning. At the beginning, God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Through Him, all things were made. The, the Word, which um, it is, is a description of Jesus, Jesus was not just a spectator at creation. Even though he's not, his name doesn't appear in Genesis, he wasn't just a spectator at creation. Rather, through him, all things were made. He was actively involved in the creative process. Nothing was made without him. Nothing was made that has been made. When we look at the first sermons from the church after the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, I think that we might expect them all to focus very much on that diagram in the middle there, right? The, the death, burial, the resurrection of Jesus leading to the baptism of the listeners. Perhaps, uh, surprisingly, what we find as we look at the, at the sermons you know, in the, in the New Testament, mostly in the book of Acts, 
is that the way they're presented and the points that they emphasize very much depends on who the audience is. Okay? So there is not just this one formula that the apostles or, or whoever it is that's preaching just says, okay, look, here's my gospel tract. One size fits all. I'm just going to give it to all of you. Okay, and we'll, we'll letterbox the whole city and uh, you all get the same gospel message and presentation and you should all respond in the same way. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but people aren't all the same. Right? And, and so when we just say, okay, I, I'm going to talk in one particular way to everybody, we're not going to connect with everybody. We need to be a little more sensitive to what's going on around us and in people's lives. So I want you to look at these two examples, again, up on the screen. Uh, here we, we, first of all, we have the Apostle Peter at Pentecost on the left side there. And Peter at Pentecost in his sermon, he says, uh, I want to draw your attention to the way that uh, prophecy is now being fulfilled. Okay? Uh, in verse 16 of, of Acts chapter 2, as Peter begins his sermon, he says, no. Right? This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Right? His very first line is that this is a fulfillment of prophecy. Crazy thing is, that the people there would have known what he was talking about. What if I said that to you? Today's sermon is all about the fulfillment of the prophecy in Joel. You go, what is Peter going to be talking about today? <laughs> right? How many prophecies do you know in Joel? That wouldn't be a good way for me to open the, open the sermon, to introduce the topic. But the apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost, he was talking to Jews, he could do that. He could say, hey, you guys know what Joel talked about. Well, now it's happening. You're seeing what you've heard for so long. The next thing he wants to establish with them is that Jesus is the Messiah. Okay? Again, maybe not a big deal for us. Right? We were raised on stories of Superman and Spider-Man, not on stories of a Messiah. But for this Jewish audience, there was this sort of hope of a Messiah who would change the world, make life better for them. And, and then Peter says, you crucified him. How many people could, could a sermon like that be preached to? You crucified him. We might say, oh, well, symbolically it was our sins that he died. Yeah, I get all that. But we weren't the ones there in the court of the Roman governor yelling out, crucify him. Okay? And so that accusation of you crucified him could only be made to those people who were there in that city at that time. And then, of course, because having established that God is at work in this fulfilling prophecy, this person was the Messiah, you killed him, you need forgiveness. <laughs> right? I mean, that's a pretty convicting set of arguments that if Jesus is the Messiah and you killed him, like all of history's been working, been building up to this moment. The hope of Israel has been put on his shoulders. We've been looking forward with expectation for him, and you killed him. Right? 
And, and so, of course, now you're going to say you need forgiveness. And for those people that accept that message, that accept that Jesus was the Messiah, that accept that prophecy is being fulfilled, they're saying, we need forgiveness. How do we get out of this mess? And so it's a great sermon, and it, it hits, it, it's right where it hits them right between the eyes with what they needed to, to hear, what was relevant to them. But then when we come over to when Paul arrives in the, uh, the city of Lystra, this is in Acts chapter 14, and he comes in, he and I, I think, who, who is it, Barnabas? Um, they come to, to Lystra, and... They heal somebody. They, they, in verse 9 of chapter 14, uh, there was a lame man. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw Paul, what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, um, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. <laughs> okay. So because of what Paul is, God is able to do through Paul in healing this lame man, they have the attention of the city. People are wanting to worship them as gods. Paul, uh, well, in verse 14, uh, when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes, rushed into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you gospel. We are bringing you good news. What is that good news? Telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. That's the good news. That I'm going to, we can introduce you to the living God who made everything. That's the good news. You're like, hang on, hang on, what about Jesus? What about dying on the cross? What about forgiveness of sins? What about, no, he says, because they're beginning to tell the gospel story. And for these people who don't know who Yahweh is, don't know who the God of the Israelites is, they have to say, we're going to start at the very beginning. And we want to introduce you to God. And this is who God is. He is the creator. He is the, the one who got everything started. And, and look around at your creation. And let me point out something. Uh, Paul says, um, God has not left himself, in verse 17, without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven, crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. God shows mercy. He gives rain to these people that don't worship him. He provides food and he provides joy to these uh, to these people there in Lystra. And so, Paul's gospel presentation here is very different from what we might expect. So, if I 
again, walk into a church today and I say, I want to tell you, I want to convince you who God is. That wouldn't be a great place to start, right? Because there's a good chance you're already here because you're open to the concept of there being a God. There's a good chance you already know something about the Christian God and the beliefs of who he is. You, you may or may not have a correct impression and understanding, but, but you still acknowledge you know, his existence. And so it's not like I want to introduce you. But there would be other places in the city where perhaps we're going to say, look, you need to know who God is. Right. Because there are people and communities and family groups that have no connection with God at all. And so the gospel begins at a different place. It's hard to begin the gospel with Jesus when you don't know who God is. Why do I need forgiveness? Well, because you've sinned against God. Who's God? Well, let me tell you who God is. God is the creator. God is the one who made this world. And if you want to live in this world, if you want to live in harmony, if you want to succeed, if you want to uh, sort of live in sync with the way the world is designed to be lived, if you want to live in sync with the Creator, then you need to know the Creator and how He wants us to, uh, to, to, to behave, to live in this world. What's His goal, His purpose for us? And so how what we talk about to different people varies depending on who we're talking to. So where's... The good news of creation. I've got a couple of ideas here for you. I think the first good news about creation is that God hasn't finished creating. <laughs> so I know that the right God rests on the seventh day, seventh day, right? Well, it says, I'm done, it's all good. Um, but what was it that caught the attention of the, the city in Lystra? It was the healing of somebody who was lame. In, in a sense, it is the restoring back to the way creation was supposed to be. I don't know why the person was lame, if they were born that way, if they'd you know, been dropped as a baby, been in a car accident, whatever it might be. Paul arrives and restores his, his strength okay, so that he's able to walk. He, he creates, in a sense, strength where there wasn't any. Jesus' ministry is so much like that. When we look at, at the miracles that Jesus performs throughout his ministry, his healing, his bringing back to life, his controlling of nature, whether it be reproducing food uh, in a supernatural way or calming storms, everything that he is doing there are acts of recreation, taking what is, is broken and restoring it. And so we see this happening in, in Jesus' ministry in a, a physical sense. But we also receive creation in a non-physical sense what's wrong can be made right not just in the world but in us because creator god isn't finished 
creating. He's also the re-creator. So there's a couple of verses there. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Or the new creature, but I think creation is a better word there, has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Okay, there's, there's a new creative work that takes place when we give our lives to Jesus. Jesus is before all things and in him all things hold together. Right? So, so creation wasn't God just stepping away. God is continuing to be involved and holding things together, keeping them running. And so God hasn't finished with creation. That's good news, right? That's good news because otherwise we're just going to say, oh, the way things are is just the way things are. And it's, you know, it's terrible and it's broken and it's hurt and it's harmful. And there's all these things that are just, you know, I don't like. And, and the good news is that God hasn't finished, that God is still involved and still engaged in his creation. The second piece of good news is that we also get to participate in God's recreation. Okay. So first, we ourselves are renewed, as we just saw. Then we share that renewal with our neighbors. You see, our mission as Christians, as people of God, as residents of the kingdom of God, isn't to sit back and watch the world burn. Right? That's, that's not our job. Our job is to be involved in the recreation process and to bring God's presence to those around us. Genesis chapter 1. Adam and Eve weren't just placed in the garden to enjoy it and to frolic the whole time. Work was part of the original design. Fill the earth, subdue it, Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, every living creature that moves on the ground. In chapter 1 and then in chapter 2, Lord God took man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. That's before the curse. And some of us think, oh yeah, <laughs> the Garden of Eden. It's just like eternal playtime. But, but there, was, there was work. Work is a good thing. And so here it's the taking care of creation taking care of the animals taking care of what's around us and so we are part of god's recreation as well that we contribute um, both to the care of our planet as as you know, representatives of god but also in as Peter did in Lystra, as Paul did in Lystra, of telling people about the God, the Creator. And so that's, I think, good news. And then the third one is because God is a Creator. We have some things. You see, creation wasn't just about physical stuff. Right? God didn't just create physical stuff and then say, all right, you guys figure it out. You work out what's good and what's bad. You work out, you know. Rather, God gave, there in Genesis, he gave people purpose. Matthew 5, 45 says that God sends rain on the just and the unjust. Right? He, he demonstrates grace through creation. That we all get to experience creation. 
we, God also gives value to people. He says, yeah, there's a, there's a purpose for you here. And um, he gives identity. Because he says, Genesis 1.26, you're made in the image of God. Right? Made in the image of God, the likeness of God. That, that there are traits and there are attributes that we absorb as people from God. I think this is perhaps the most important part of the good news of creation. Is that we're not just drifting through life, but that God created and intends for us to have purpose because he sees us as having value and he wants us to have identity. And he shows grace to all of us in the meantime. You see, when people feel they have no value, forgiveness isn't their greatest need. When people feel they have no value, forgiveness isn't their greatest need. The people at Pentecost, their greatest need at that moment in time was mercy and forgiveness. They were just realizing they'd made a big mistake. Okay. But sometimes people first need to know that they're not an accident. They need to know that they're valued, that they can contribute. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 a lot of translations use the phrase here, handiwork. We are God's handiwork. But the word has a little bit more uh, significance to it than that. It's really saying we are God's work of art. Okay? And yes, Paul's writing this to a church. And he talks about we. He's perhaps talking about the church as a whole. But individually, we're part of that. We, you, are God's work of art. See, I think even that idea of handiwork, it's not my favorite word, but it takes my mind back to the Garden of Eden. It takes my mind back to God rolling up his sleeves and, and forming a person out of the dust. And so many of us, we think, oh, I don't have any value. I'm not worth anything. I'm, I don't know why I'm here. I'm, I can't do anything right. I'm just a mistake. I just mess up all the time. You know, I... I I don't know what my value is. And we're reminded here, you are God's handiwork. God, I don't understand the biology, but God says, no, I would get my hands dirty and I would mold you and I would make you just the way you are. You are my masterpiece. And he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago you see god gives us the creator god creates us with a purpose he creates us with a value he gives us an identity and he extends grace to all of us i want to encourage you today that if you need god's grace in your life. Please talk to me afterwards. Talk to somebody else. If you want to make a commitment to, to follow Jesus, if you want to respond like the people did at Pentecost and, and be baptized, if you want to um, explore these topics further, whatever, 
however God may be working in your life today, I want to encourage you, talk to somebody before you leave here. Um, because I, I believe it's important. Because God has given us a purpose, a value, identity, and always His grace. I'd invite you, if it's convenient for you, to stand. We'll ask you to stand for the first couple of verses of this song, and uh, then we'll continue uh, as you sit down. We'll prepare our hearts and our minds for the table. O sacred head now wounded With grief and shame weighed down Thou scornfully so church. Just so great to be here, see lovely faces. And it's just God have given us so much in this life and we stand here now going to take part in the Lord's Supper. We just listened to a great sermon about what God and Christ have done for each of us. To accept that, 
gift except things that he have allowed us to have and the love that he has for each of us that we have to accept and to remember who we are and what he have done for each of us. So as we take of this bread that represent his broken body, let us remember the gift, the power, the love, the strength that each of us have because of that. So as we take of this bread that represent his shed blood, and his broken body, let us give thanks to him. Let us pray for the bread. Our kind, righteous Father, we just so grateful for the gift that you have given each of us. Help us to remember, not only remember, Father, but to do those things that we know you would have us to do so that we can appreciate what you have done for each of us. As we take up this bread, we pray that we'll be strengthened because of the love that you have given to each of us. Thank you, Father, for all you have given to each of us. So in your son's name we pray and ask it all. Amen. <clears throat> Let us give thanks for the cup. Father, we thank you again for shedding your blood on the cross that we might have the right to call you our Father, our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer. As we partake of it, Father, we pray that we continue to be strengthened and accept the love that you have given to each of us. It's in your son's name, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Join me in this song, please. <clears throat> I heard an old, old story, how a Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning, of his precious blood's atoning, 
Then I repented of my sins and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is to him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about his healing, of his cleansing power revealing. How he made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see. And then I cried, dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is to him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Would you stand, please? This song just begs to be standing, huh? Let's continue. I heard about a mansion he has built for me in glory. And I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea, about the angels singing and the old redemption story. And some sweet day I'll sing up there the song of victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is to him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Thank you. Please be seated. In this part of our service, we take an opportunity to uh, reflect on the offering and the monies that have been given this day in the support of the work here at Lawson Road. I want to read a passage of scripture to you as we reflect upon this for a moment, and of course after this we'll also bid farewell to those who are worshiping with us online. 
When Paul wrote to the young preacher Timothy and gave him instructions regarding the things that are important in his ministry, in chapter 6 of his first letter, he did make mention of how we can find contentment in this life. Now, granted, the time that he was writing, the church and many churches were under persecution. There were things that were difficulty for those who had obeyed the gospel. There were those that were struggling even to survive because there was giving many churches to help support those who had no means of income just because they confessed that they believed in Jesus Christ. He says in verse 6 of chapter 6, Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world. We can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptations and a trap and many foolish and harmful desires that actually plunge men into ruin and into destruction. Words were written a long time ago, but they have a lot of meaning even today, don't they? For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people eager for money have wandered from the faith, pierced themselves through with many griefs. Our giving is a reflection of whether or not we have wandered from our faith. How we set aside and give unto God indicates how much we actually believe that Jesus is the Lord of our life. You see, the moment we take to set aside what God has given us, in a sense, we're speaking to God saying, thank you for everything you've given me. Because consider it for a moment. What is it that he really needs from us? What he wants most of all is that we believe and trust in him. And how we give is a measure of how much we believe in you, Almighty Father, and Jesus, our Redeemer, and how much we love our service unto you. So when we give thanks this morning for our offering, just quietly within each soul here today, be mindful of the fact that everything we have, God has given. And not only are we grateful to him, but he also is thankful that we're mindful of him, even when we set aside our offering. Let us bow together, and of course, we'll bid farewell to those who are worshiping with us online. And one reminder to those who are worshiping online, if you have a prayer request, submit it to the office for us, please, or even mention it in the chat when you're online, and that will give us an opportunity to remember your prayer request. Let's bow together. Almighty Father, we thank you again for this time that we have to gather and for this very moment. We pause now, dear Lord, to thank you for the ways that you touch each of our lives. It goes way beyond clothing and food. Oh, we're given so many things in this life and in this time that we live, and we are grateful. We ask, please, your continued blessings upon the offering that we've prepared this day. Let us use it in a wise manner. Let us share in a way that you would direct our souls and spirits to do it. And most of all, dear Lord, we want you to know that we deeply believe and who you are as our creator, who your son is as our redeemer. And we love you, Father, and want to serve in every way. Please accept our offering this day. Continue with us on our walk. For those who are worshiping online, Father, continue in each of their lives as well. The things that are dear and dear them and on their hearts, Father, please be with them at this hour. Your continued grace and mercy will touch our lives of all those around. Please guide us in our walk. It's in Jesus' name we humbly pray, amen. Amen. And an angel speaks, right? All right, young people, if you have some coins to drop in our coin collection this morning, come on forward and put those in for us. And, of course, as you're doing it, warm all of our hearts.
Thank you, Zoe. You have to help her out. Thank you. Thank you. I guess that jug wasn't made for the folding stuff too much, huh? Thank you, Curtis. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, they're precious. Okay, we have a prayer request this morning and some praise points. Uh, this is an announcement, actually, as well as a, a request for praise point. How many of us know the Wade family from North Greece Road? Uh, Sister Ada Wade passed this past week, and uh, her funeral arrangements are as following. Um, Saturday, the 22nd, from 10 to 12, are the calling hours at the North Greece Road building, and the funeral will follow at noon. So please keep uh, the Wade family, North Greece Road family, in your prayers. Uh, they're doing funerals one to two at a week at recent times, so please keep the church in your prayers. Our sister Kathy Whitmire says, please pray for my Aunt Audrey in Lexington, Kentucky. She fell this week and fractured her hip <clears throat> and shoulder. <clears throat> Excuse me. Prayers would be appreciated for her healing and that she may be able to rehab at a facility near her home. We'll keep her in prayer. <clears throat> this prayer request comes from our sister Judy Gardner. Thank you for praying for my PET scan test. The next step for them is to do a biopsy. There is some risk involved. Please pray for the doctors and for myself for the strength to continue with this journey. We will, Judy. I know it's been a little struggle for you. Keep you in prayer. Our sister Dolores Frazier, two requests, prayer for daughter Karen Crawford. Karen will be taking the Texas bar exam and wants to get a high score so she can practice in Texas and in New York. She also says, please pray for the Lord to Guide me and bless me to meet the challenges I face with my car and my housing search. I'll keep you in prayer, Sister Frazier. Our sister Gail Abigail Revere is back with us safely from her travels. The praise point had a safe trip to Florida and back, and thank you for your prayers. And also tomorrow, my granddaughter Jasmine will be 13 years of age. Amazing, isn't it? Uh, thank you for your many blessings. Our sister Luann Waterman says, Arlo Waterman had a double ear infection this past week. Woke up this morning with a rash. Please pray for him and his parents as he has had an unusual, not as unusual, cheerful self. And we do miss him this morning as well. Okay. This comes from our brother Will DeWolf. Thanking the church for their prayers. I did receive the job I uh, start in August. Congratulations, Will. And continue with your journey as well in that part. Okay, at this point, did I miss anyone who has a prayer request, did not get a chance to fill out a prayer request card? Anything on your heart that you need for us to pray for this morning? Okay. Okay. 
Okay. Sister Logan says, Lenny, family of tra- Lenny has traveled to Jamaica this morning, as a matter of fact, and asked for prayer for him to safe travel, and of course, a good trip as well. We'll do that, Rose. Beth? Oh, good, good. Glad to hear it. Anyone else? Okay, let's go to our Heavenly Father in a word of prayer for all of our prayer requests, and then I have a couple of announcements to make for us as well. Let's bow together. Our Lord, we thank you, dear Father in heaven again, how good it is to be able to call upon your name. We do cherish these times, Father, to not only share what's on our hearts, And of course, we're mindful as well that you understand all of our needs, but we do like to speak with you. We're grateful for those who've been traveling and are traveling. For safe travel, Father, please keep watch over everyone and glad that Abigail has returned safely. Watch over Lenny and family. Continue to be with those who are traveling. Father, keep everyone safe, please. For the little sister, Lois Frazier, and the request she made for Karen, Father, please guide her in her studies. Of course, help her to continue the Uh, goals that she has set for herself. Father, please bless her in her studies and, of course, in her testing. And for Sister Frazier's desire for the situation she faces in her life regarding both her transportation and her search for a house, Father, please continue with her in this journey as well. For our dear Sister Judy, as she also, Almighty Father, is undergoing tests, please guide the doctors who are foreseeing her, her treatment and her care Please, Father, favorable results for all the tests that are done, and especially for our sister Judy at this hour, Father, to keep her strong. Let your grace and mercy continue with her. Give her the endurance and strength to rely upon you. Please, Father, be with her. For Kathy's aunt, Audrey, in Lexington, as age comes upon us, Father, things happen that sometimes alter our life completely. Please be with Audrey at this time and help her to heal. And, of course, as they look for places for her care, Guide the family, please, Father. For the Wade family, the loss of a loved one, someone who has been part of their family from the beginning, please, Father, be with the Wade family at this hour in the North Greece Road Church. Strengthen them and help them, Father, at this moment. And for Will, as he continues his journey, Father, we're grateful and thank you for his blessing upon his life. Please continue with him and Lonnie and the family. Strengthen him in every way and guide him in his path. We're grateful, Father, that you're mindful of him in every way, and of course, grateful that he is part of our fellowship here. For young Arlo and the sickness that he has, Father, please help him to heal, and of course, be with his parents, grandparents, and family as they attend and encourage him in every way as well. For Beth, as her celebration of her birthday, Father, continue to be with her and grant her life and goodness, and we're grateful that she has enjoyed it as well. And for all of us here today, Father, Help each of us, please, to continue to be the servants and stewards you've called us to be. We're grateful for the way you've blessed us. We're thankful for the talents that we possess. It is our purpose and desire, please, to do the things that you've called us to do. How much we're grateful for Jesus, your son, his willingness to come, to sacrifice his life, and, of course, give us this moment to even speak with you. Oh, how good it is, Father, to know you, to understand you in our lives, and, of course, to be able to share what we have. And as we continue our walk, let our words speak in a way that not only encourages and strengthens, but directs those to you as well. And by your providence and your guidance, let us always be mindful of who we are in your son's kingdom. Thank you, Father, for hearing us at this moment and being with us. It's in Jesus' name we humbly pray. Amen. Amen. Oh.
The Amen Corner is working well this morning. Just want to recognize some of our visitors that are here with us today. Our sister Cynthia Ricky, who we don't really count as a visitor, although she did leave us, but Cynthia's good to have you with us as well. And Steve and Annette are with us. Now, you know Steve and Annette, many of you know them. She's come here, they come here quite often to visit with us. Uh, now Annette's been in to check on the Dorcas class a few times. They've joined us in our fellowship as well, but it still is good to have both of you with us today as well. And Joanne, it's good to have you with us, a friend of Howard's that's with us today as well. Good to have you join us in our, in our fellowship and time together. Did I miss anyone? No? Good. Thank you for being part of it today as well. One other reminder for Wednesday night. Where are we this Wednesday night? You got it all set. 7 o'clock. We'll see everyone there as well. Steve? be a great time to snap that. Are you going to do it in the foyer downstairs? Okay, downstairs in the foyer, folks. Get a picture taken on your way out. It'll be great. One final announcement. This coming Saturday, the 22nd of July, Brother and Sister Moore and, of course, Jim and Ashley would like to invite the church to be present when they exchange their marriage vows at 1 o'clock. We're anxious. We're excited. I know you guys are all calm and no problem, right? No, no last-minute details either, right, Curtis and Lisa? Everything's right all set up, right? We're looking forward to it. Ashley was born here in this congregation, so this is, a, this is a big moment for us, of all of us as a church. We're looking forward to it. Grateful for both of you, all right? So please keep that in mind as well, okay? And we do have a closing song, and we will start our Bible class at 10 after 11, 10 after 11, okay? Let's stand together for our closing song. Let's When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more And the morning breaks eternal bright and fair When the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore And the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there When the roll is called up yonder When the roll is called up yonder When the roll is called up yonder When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there Thank you. Make sure you see Steve to get a picture.
Thank you. 